king is coming. Now, you notice right after the word king is that dot, dot, dot. And the question is, you know, what does that mean? See, we, we are Christians here. This, this is foundational to us is the cross, Jesus' death. We also believe in this empty tomb, his resurrection. But what, what, what next? Is, is that it? No, it's not it. There's more to come. And Jesus talks about it in, in Matthew 24 and 25. He, Matthew records for us a, the last sermon, the last full sermon that Jesus gave. We gave it on the Mount of Olives, so it's often called the Olivet Discourse. And he talks about his return, that he is coming. Now, I want you to know that there's a lot of differences in that dot, dot, dot for a lot of Christians. on What's going to happen between Jesus, you know, ascension and his return, dot, dot, dot. And he talks about that in Matthew chapter 24. And 25. Now, if you read that word, the king is coming, and you're over 50, and maybe you didn't grow up in church, you might think, oh, this guy is coming, right? Here, this, the king is coming, right? Elvis, right? I mean, as a kid, I grew up, and, like, you know, people saw Elvis in Buenos Aires and in Paris, and, you know, anyway. So, but for the modern reader who doesn't go to church, the king is coming, you think it was this king. You know, LeBron, you know, he's not coming either. You know, that's not what we're talking about, Elvis or LeBron. We're just talking about Jesus in this picture here. There he is, just in the background, just over the hilltop. We are anticipating the grand and glorious return of Jesus Christ. So let me lay the context for how this sermon comes about. It's found in Matthew 20, chapter 24 and verse 1. Um, of course, we're dealing with these questions. When is the king coming and what signs will indicate his arrival? Look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 24. It's on the screen here. As Jesus was going out of the temple courts and walking away, his disciples came to him to show him the temple buildings. They're like, wow, Jesus, here's the temple. Uh, just a model of it, but it was substantial. Large block buildings. Uh, you know, you need to understand, though, like, these are Galilean fishermen. You know, like, I grew up in a small town, so I get the, where they're coming from, Right? We had a, a three-story building in, in, in my town. Uh, it had one, two, three, and a B. So we would often go ride the elevator in this building as kids. I mean, that's, you know, because when I grew up, parents just kind of, we'd be home by supper time. So we, we, we found every building with an elevator, and we always you know, went up one, two, you know, B, you know. And, you know, then people were like, what are you boys doing here? Oh, we're just, you know, riding the elevator. <laughs> so, and then as a kid, we came to Edmonton. And one day, my dad said, okay, we're going to go downtown. And so we got on the bus. Never been on a bus, but city bus. And there's all these people on the bus, and we go downtown, and then I could see these buildings getting bigger and bigger as we drove to downtown Edmonton. Something around Jasper Avenue, and like, there's buildings, and like, you know, in the elevators in there, they got all these buttons, not a one, two, three B, but they got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know. I couldn't, I was like, whoa, this is like, we went into the Eaton store and this huge escalator, and it was like, wow, into the cafeteria, and you know, and all, you know, it was, it was, it was a huge deal because as a small town kid, I'd never seen a building that big. So you can understand. The Galilean fishermen from the little peasant villages on the Sea of Galilee suddenly are like, wow, look at these rocks. Some of those foundation stones, and in fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can go into some of these tunnels, and you go down, and they've dug down. You can see these, these, these stones, uh, 20 by 20 by 40 feet, hundreds of tons. I mean, just massive, massive rocks. So, and, and, and all of them quarried off-site transported into Jerusalem, and, and not an easy, I mean, even today to haul these stones in there would not be easy, but how they did it in, in the ancient world, I mean, just, 
you know, we, we think we're smarter today. No, they, they had engineering uh, feats that, you know, we, we could even, even shake our head at. So these Galilean fishermen are, are impressed. Wow, man, look at this, Jesus. And look what Jesus says to them in verse 2. He said to them, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another. All will be torn down. So he's predicting something here. And they're like, wait a second, are you serious? Like, it's, this thing took decades to finish. Herod was working on this, on the temple for a long, long time. And, you know, there it is. It's magnificent. It's not as magnificent as Solomon's temple, but yet still was a, a substantial architectural feat of its day. And Jesus is like, yeah, guess what? Nothing that you see is going to be like it is at the end. So like, okay, so now Jesus is talking about the future. He's prophesying. And don't you want to know what's going to happen in the future? We all do, right? So that's what leads to this thing called the Olivet Discourse, this sermon about the end times, about the king coming. And so we find there in verse 3, uh, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. So they're just curious. Now understand, this is a sermon to the disciples, as Matthew records it. There is no extra crowd there. The Pharisees aren't there. All the, you know, you know, all the grief, people that caused Jesus grief. No, it's just his inner circle. And now he's like, let me give it down to you. I'm, I'm going to lay it out for you. This is how, what's going to happen. But he'll, he'll talk about it, but he won't give all the specifics. And you're left still trying to fill in the blanks. And that's the nature of prophecy is that sometimes it, it makes sense. Sometimes it's, it's not clear. And, and he draws attention to some salient points that we want to draw out of this text. But understand, he's saying, guess what? When... Will these things happen? And what will be the signs of coming of your age? I think there's two questions here. There we go. The two big contextual questions. When? When? And what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? So right now, there is a lot of furor about what's going to happen. Are we in the end times? Is this, is this going on right now? And, and people from all over, very different backgrounds, are talking about this question. They've been talking about this for 2,000 years. Understand that. Because we want to know. You know, back when I was a kid, we would have our favorite TV shows, even, even in recent times, right? And, and they would be on a certain night of the week, right? And you'd want, you'd have to watch it, and then, of course, you'd leave you hanging, so you're waiting for the next week to come along, and, and then, you know, so it's, oh, this band concert, and you miss it, and so you're, you're behind, and, you know. But nowadays, right, you have, like, these streaming options, right? So you start watching a show, and, and, and all of you probably have done this, right? You, you watch one, and you're like, ooh. What happens? And so you watch the next one. Oh, what happens? And, you want, you know, and, and pretty soon you're watching like 15 episodes. Why? Because you want to know what's happening. Here's the disciples, same kind of thing. What's going to happen? What's going to happen, Jesus? What, what, what are the signs going to be there? How, how will we know when it's happening? Good questions. And that's what forms the basis of this sermon. And so Jesus answers them in verse 4 talks about the signs of the times. Watch out that no one misleads you. Okay, so he's going to say two things in this first section. But the first thing he says, before I tell you about anything about the times, the signs, just be aware 
that there's going to be a lot of sleight of hand going on here, right? You know, if you've watched a magician or illusionist, right, what's usually happening is they're doing something with this hand and they're doing something with this hand or, you know, they're, they're hiding things and, you, and you're watching the, the movement, but in, in the meantime, he's hiding a dove or a, a rabbit in his pant leg or something, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's a watch out because there's all sorts of, of misleading messages going on out there. Be aware of it. And maybe some of you have also read those or got stuck in those ruts of, of narrative speculation that isn't what Jesus wants us to get. Watch out. There's going to be lots of distractions on this journey that we're going to take in this sermon, Jesus said. But just be careful because you, you, you will, someone will try to mislead you on this. He says in verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. I'm him. I'm the Savior. I can fix the world. I can solve this situation. And that's been happening and, and, and will happen in the end times. He says there in verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Make sure you're not alarmed, but this must happen. And the end is still yet to come. You see the, you see the second command there? Make sure that you're not alarmed. Because there's going to be lots of wars and conflicts, okay? So here's the, here's the quote I found. In 2016, more countries experienced violent conflict than at any point in almost 30 years. At the same time, conflicts are becoming more fragmented. And it goes on. I mean, I had a whole list. I have like three pages of all the conflicts in the last, you know, 100 years. And it was just like page, page, page. And guess what? You didn't know about 90% of them. Even today, do you know where all the wars are going on in the world? You don't. There's all sorts of conflicts going on all over. You know about Ukraine. Maybe you know a little bit about Syria, but there's stuff going on in Asia. There's stuff in Africa, and, and it's going on all around us. And this has been the pattern since the time that Jesus gave this sermon. So, yeah, there's been these, these wars and rumors of wars. Um, you know, I'm old enough to have grown up in, in the Cold War or era, just waiting for nuclear missiles to fly over top of us here in Canada, right? I mean, I mean, we, we've lived in this, in this climate. But look what he says. The, no, I'll go back, sorry, sorry. The end is still yet, is still to come. No, this isn't the end. But this stuff is going to be happening. Just be aware, the, the climate and, and the context is, is changing. And he says in verse 7, and we can move ahead, the nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And he says, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I just found this about famines. Famines and episodes of forcible mass starvation have killed 104.3 million people since 1870. The main trend, however, is downward. In each decade between the 1870s and the 1970s, great famines killed between 1.45 million and 16.64 million at an average of about 927,810 per year. The last calamitous famine was Cambodia in 1975 to 79. Since 1980, the annual death toll in great famines has averaged 75,000 or about 8% at the, of the historic level. They talk about it in such a blase way, but like, you understand, this has been going on for the last 150 years. Famines. Some of you will remember in the 80s, the, all the movie stars got together and they sang a song, you know, tears are not enough, right? You know, well, we can make it, you know, and, you know, because you know, that was sort of like the Ethiopia famine, right? And this, this has been going on. It, it's happening. There's famines. There's earthquakes. And I have a little video here. This is a, a video simulation of all the earthquakes that are going on in our world. 
in the last little bit of time. You can see, see that on the bottom left, there's a that March. Every little flash is an earthquake. Those are all earthquakes going on in the month. September 2015, October, November. See all those earthquakes? It's, and there, there, here's the picture here. You know, so you can see all those little dots represent an earthquake. The big ones are big earthquakes, right? Uh, and it'll, it'll show a little more here in a second. Here, here's the uh, earthquakes with a magnitude of, of over 6.5. Uh, that's a lot of earthquakes. And then you can see um, the next one, I think, is 8. Okay. You notice... Noticeably absent is Vancouver, but it's common, guys, right there, you know, on the San Andreas Fault there. But, like, earthquakes like crazy have been happening in our world. And this is just a short little time lapse showing that it's happening all the time. So are we living in the end times? Yeah. In some ways we are. But he says in verse 8, all these things are the beginning of the birth. I honestly didn't understand this verse until uh, January, July 17th, 2003. Because that's when I personally, uh, you know, from the man's perspective, <laughs> dealt with birth pains. <laughs> Hot summer day, and Elisa came out of the bathroom and says, I think my water just broke. Like, oh, you know. And so I called the doctor because we, we had a personal doctor. We knew her, and she went to our church. So it was a, I, had a, I had a privileged position there to be able to call the doctor and say, yeah, we think Elisa's water just broke, and what should we do? And she's like, well, we got lots of time, you know. And, and I woke her up, obviously. It was like 6.30 in the morning, and, you know. And then, yeah, don't do that to your doctor. But anyway, I, I know, so. And, and then, and so I'm like, she said, just said to chill out for a bit, Elisa. And then all of a sudden, she calls back and says, yeah, you should get to the hospital. So we jump in the car, and we're driving. My poor mother-in-law nearly got sick because I'm weaving through the traffic in Calgary trying to get down to this, you know, Rocky View Hospital. And um, so I'm thinking, yeah, baby's coming. Yeah, yeah, baby's coming. And we get there, and everything slows down. You go to this horrific place they call triage, right? It's, it's like, like, it's like this most uncomfortable, sterile, windowless place. You're like, oh, triage, you know, like, you know, wait until, until that baby starts, you know, getting close because triage is horrible, right? And so we're, we're stuck in triage, and then they were just, it was awful. And then finally we got into a birthing room, and we're waiting and waiting, and I think we went up and down some stairs, and, you know, we're trying to make this happen. It's not happening. It's sort of happening, but it's not happening. That's what labor is like. And, and I'm just saying this from the man's perspective. You women could give much more color to that. But understand, when he says the beginning of the birth pains, he's saying like, yeah, it's coming, but you're not exactly sure when it's coming. Um, sometimes we think about this like there was one couple in our church, and she was this tiny little girl, about 100 pounds. And she got pregnant, and, and like she went into labor, and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll go to the hospital. And literally, they're driving from Airdrie, and, and, like, it's six miles to the city limits of Calgary, pretty much. And, like, she got to that Balzac, which is, like, right close to the city limits. And they pulled off the road, and her husband delivered the baby right in the car. <laughs> the ambulance showed up. They're wrapping the baby up, cutting the umbilical cord. I mean, like, like, boom, it happened really fast. I mean, they just had their second kid, I think, last year. It took them, like, 12 years to recover from the first one because it was like, ah! so traumatic, right? So, so sometimes people think of Jesus' return like that. Like, oh, the birth pains come, boom, the baby's going to show up. But, but most of us, I think, our, our labor stories are a little more longer and prolonged. And I think I had a nap with one of our kids in labor because it just, he was taking so long, you know. And so, um, 
very insensitive thing to do, guys. Stay awake, you know. <laughs> don't fall asleep during labor. Like, at least pretend to be awake or something. You know, wear glasses or I don't know. <laughs> Just the beginning. Okay, so you, you, those of you that have had kids, you understand what I'm talking about here. It's happening, but it's, it's not happening. It's coming, but we don't know when it's coming. But he said, be aware that we live in a world where we are experiencing the birth pains right now. Yes, there are earthquakes. Yes, there are conflicts. Yes, but that's, that's just the beginning. And then he, he jumps in verse 9. He says, then, then they will hand you over to be pierced. So that word then is, is a time marker. It's a grammatical marker saying, yes, now we're talking about a different period of time. Now we've moved into it. Now, now we're actually in the end times. And I would say this would be the tribulation period that Daniel refers to and that Revelation 6 to 18 described this period of God's wrath being poured on the world. At this point, uh, the New Testament, I believe, teaches that the church has been raptured and there's this period of time of where God is judging, but also still inviting people to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And so this is the heat of the moment here. This is my perspective of the dot, dot, dot. Whether you agree with me or not, it doesn't matter. We all agree with the fact that the king is coming and that these signs will come and that, that we need to be prepared. But he says, look, what's going to happen in that, in that real horrific period of time is that they're going to hand you over to be persecuted. They're going to kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Now, some people believe this describes a period of time from when Christ you know, left this earth till when he returns, that this is going to be the nature of, of the whole period of time, that there's going to be this animosity towards Christians. Uh, it's interesting. In 2013, 10 years ago, National Post had an article that said, this was, the, this was the headline, why being a Christian could be the most dangerous identity to hold in the world today. And in that article, uh, Charles Lewis in the National Post says, there have been more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than in 1900 years that came before. And this month, in Newsweek, an op-ed piece by Sean Carney in Newsweek. This is, the, this is the headline. Acceptable hate. Assaults on Christianity go overlooked. As radical leftists advance their secular agenda, intolerance for those who hold to Christian values have become increasingly palpable. The recent shooting at a private Christian academy in Nashville by Audrey Hale, a transgender individual with a detailed manifesto on maps, is a chilling example of the escalating violence against faith. This attack, which was clearly premeditated, targeted a Christian school with a biblical theology curriculum representing the Christian values that the shooter sought to destroy. Following the tragic events in Nashville, left-wing journalists, columnists, entertainers, and activists directed their ire towards Christians and conservatives rather than mourning the victims and condemning the violence. Instead of offering sympathy and support, they made callous remarks that not only mocked the Christian faith but also blamed the victims themselves. This cold-hearted response exemplifies the escalating hostility towards Christians which, in which an ideological battle eclipses empathy and compassion. I'm not trying to get political here. But what Jesus describes at the end times is that there is this increasing hatred of Christians, which is really ironic because Christians try to do good in our world. We, we look after orphans. We build hospitals where there are no hospitals. We, we help literacy where people are illiterate. I mean, Christians have done this. One of the CBC guys, I mean, I, I love that story. Chris Brown, I think his name. He said every time you get sent to a, a, you know, a, a major you know, catastrophe, he said the Christians always beat us there. The CBC journalists would always show up, oh, and the Christians are already there, you know. But, and yet there is this growing 
hatred and animosity towards Christians. According to um, Open Doors, there's at least 360 million Christians experiencing high levels of persecution and discrimination. And almost 6,000 Christians were killed last year because of their faith. It says in verse 10, Then many will be led into sin, and they will betray one another and hate one another. He's talking, in verse 9, it says like from the outside. Now inside the the body of faith, people are beginning to, to sell each other out. Uh, and at various points in history, we've seen this, right? When, when, when Nazism rose up in Germany, some Christians just compromised, right? And same with communism in Russia. And same with the past history of our own country. The ugliness of Christians toward each other was just awful. Horrific things were said. Families split apart. Churches destroyed because, because of differences on, on health perspective. And I'm like, really? But where does this come from? This comes from the enemy. Where there's disunity and division and pride, that's not God. That's, that's someone else doing work. And then here it's happening internally. Uh, they're going to hate one another. And it says in verse 11, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. And because lawlessness will increase so much, verse 12, the love of many will grow cold. There's this, this growing kind of coldness in humanity towards each other. So, I'm reading the Epoch Times. This is April 6th to 12th edition. And on the front page is this article. And I was, I was just like, wow. Breakdown of society evident in Vancouver. Stabbing where bystanders did nothing. When Paul Stanley Schmidt was stabbed to death in front of his three-year-old daughter while standing outside of downtown Vancouver Starbucks on March 26th, nobody stepped in to help. An onlooker sipped his coffee while two bystanders filmed, one of them a TikToker who took a selfie video next to the dying man's body. Can you believe this? In Vancouver. Schmidt, 37, went with his fiancée and daughter to the Starbucks coffee shop on the evening of March 26th. While waiting outside on the patio as his fiancée went inside to order, Schmidt asked a man not to vape near his daughter. The victim's family told media. After a brief altercation, the man produced a knife and stabbed him. Although a bystander did eventually flag down an officer on patrol, the victim's mother, Catherine, Kathy Schmidt, told City News, I'm just in- incredibly surprised that nobody from inside Starbucks called for help. Nobody outside called for help. It wasn't until he was in dire straits. Um, after facing backlash for a lack of empathy and taking action to help, the TikToker, a young man named Alex Bodger, posted a video explaining his reaction. This is the guy that took a picture of himself next to the dying man's body. He was uncomfortable and shocked, he said, and he added that he's sorry, but ultimately he said, quote, it doesn't faze me too much because dot, 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 I'll just say human life to me, the way I look at it, if I don't know you, it's meaningless. So you kind of feel like we're, we're in this when I read something like that. When just basic decency, I mean, you don't even have to confront, you could at least just call for help. No one inside, no one outside. The love of many will grow cold. And so you just feel this like, oh, what do we do? And then, but he says in verse 13, the person who endures to the end will be 
say, what is he talking about? I mean, I think he is calling for faithfulness to Christ as we approach the, the return of the king. It could be that in that tribulation period, those who come to faith in Christ and, and continue to be faithful to him until, until the final return, when, when the glorious return of Christ at the end of the tribulation period is, comes, that the person that, that, that gets there, yes, will be saved and will enter into the millennial kingdom and the glory of Christ ruling over this earth in, in majesty and dominion and, 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 and full righteousness and, and godliness. I mean, it could be that. But he is calling for faithfulness. No matter what your position is on end times, he's saying, be faithful to Christ. Don't sell out for any reason. And you all know it. When your bank account and your potential for earning gets squeezed, somehow your, your faith convictions can easily get laid aside because you don't want to starve out your family, right? And that tribulation period will be a horrific period of time. We're going to talk about it in a moment next week about this abomination of desolation, all this bad stuff that's happening. Run to the hills, right? That's next week. But he's saying, look, Continue to be faithful to the end. And he says in verse 14, what's happening during that period of time? He says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he says, as this whole event is happening, the good news is still being shared. You can be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Then the end will come. Now, I grew up with this verse being taught that as Christians, we can control the end, the return of Christ. If we just, if everyone hears the gospel, boom, all of a sudden Jesus is going to return. Boom, it's like a formula. It's not a formula. That's not what it teaches. Uh, we were in Alliance Church, and this guy was preaching a sermon on this. Like, yeah, the, the missionary mandate. We got to bring in, the, you know, bring in the return of Christ. We don't bring in the return of Christ, but we are mandated to share the good news. No matter what your end time position is, this is a standing order from Jesus Christ. Tell people. The good news. And in the light of the calamitous world in which we live and the signs of the times and all this stuff going on, this is a sober reminder. This is what it's about. I mean, I said this before. I mean, if we really believed that that health issue was as great a catastrophe as they said it was, then we should have been ramping up our evangelistic efforts. And not just online. But we should have said, man, people are going to be dying and going to hell. We need to be telling them that there's good news in Jesus Christ. It's time to open up the church seven days a week, not shut it down, right? Come on in anytime and hear the good news because this is important. And in the tribulation period, as all this stuff unwinds and like massive, you know, world, you know, you know just like people are dying. And I mean, this is so critical. And the book of Revelation says there's 140,000, 44,000 witnesses that are dedicated to sharing the good news throughout the tribulation period. And then the end. Okay, so no matter what your position is on end times, there are three things I have here on a slide here. Let's see. The king is coming. Yeah, there we go. So how should we respond? First of all, stay calm. You see that? It is in those first, first section. Watch out that no one misleads you. Make sure you're not alarmed, it says in that, in that first section there, verses 4 and verse 6. Stay calm. You don't need to freak out about this stuff. Don't need to get caught up in all the prepper stuff. But like, like, don't worry about that stuff. Stay calm. Be reasonable. Uh, keep living life. Now, understand, I grew up as a kid in, in, in the church, and, and this was a huge thing even in the 70s. And, and people were telling their kids, yeah, don't go to college. 
Because, you know, Christ is going to return. People were even like, I don't know if I need to pay my mortgage because Christ is returning. And why would I bother doing that? You know, I mean, stupid things like that. that doesn't, keep living life, but stay calm. Remain faithful to God and his word. To the truth. Be aware that you will be pressured to compromise more and more as we approach this end. And the world is pushing against us uh, in a way, and I, Pastor Colin, that was here a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. We, we haven't felt this pressure in my lifetime. Stay faithful. Families, you need to teach your kids the truth. Ground them in the truth. No matter what educational avenue you choose, you need to teach your kids the truth. Uh, don't rely on, on the, some curriculum that you have online or some Christian school education or, or whatever you're doing. You need to teach them the truth. We will, we will augment that here in our Sunday school with Pastor Elijah, but you need to teach them the truth. Be faithful. And number three, keep sharing the good news. No matter what position you have on the end times, we can all agree on these three things. If you want to talk about the more finite, finite nuances of the, of, the, of the timetable, I'm happy to have those discussions, but, but Jesus is drawing us to these things. We can stay calm, we can remain faithful, and we can keep sharing the good news. Jesus offers everyone an invitation to life with him. Would you believe him? Would you receive him as your Savior today? He died for you. He rose again. And he invites us into relationship with him. In which he's coming. And when he comes, he, he, he will graciously welcome us that, that belong to him. And so we look forward that day. Team, I'm going to invite you forward. I'm going to close us and lead us in a closing song. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm inviting you to believe in Jesus Christ. If believers here today and watching online, <clears throat> you saw those three points. He is coming. Be calm. Be faithful. And be a witness. Share the good news with others. <clears throat> would, you, would you pray with me as we, as we close here? And the team's going to lead us in a closing song. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you give us in, in, the, in your word. And that you keep your word. You have since the beginning of time. May we be found to be calm, to be faithful, and to be sharing the good news in light of the fact that you are coming back. We know how this ends, Lord. Thank you that we don't live in, 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 a, in a shrouded mystery, but we know that, yes, you will return. You will lead and you will rule. And we will just enjoy your presence forever. In the meantime, Lord, give us the courage and the strength to do what's right. To follow the truth. And to share and to be, to be a, a light to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.